Welcome Wheatland community. This is another episode of Cross Reference, um, the discussion between Pastor Luke LaDuke and Dan Spanger. I am Dan Spanger and Pastor Luke LaDuke is with us here online, um, where we have the opportunity to talk through his sermons, uh, maybe explore a little of things that he didn't have a chance to get to or unpack some of the ideas that he's presented uh, from the pulpit um, in a way really that's meant to be edifying to our community um, and uh, provide more space for us to think and talk as um, as a church. So thank you, Luke, for being here this morning and um, talking through First John chapter one. Yeah, and, thank um, you, Dan. Thanks yeah, for having I, me. I, I, as, I, as I recall from the sermon, I, I don't know that I remember a lot, but I do remember that, that we were thanking Keith for something, and I thought that was pretty Yeah, no. Usually I, some competition between the two. Yeah, you know? no, I think um, I was thanking Keith for setting me up for some dysfunction, I think. And the, the dysfunction is uh, wandering around these verses together. And uh, Keith had made the point that, you know, first John's, this epistle, John's writings in general, but this epistle even more perhaps, is a bit of a merry-go-round in a sense. There's a couple of things that hold at the center but you just keep going around and around. I think I described it as a spiral staircase. And, mm -hmm. and uh, whether we slipped and fell a few or not on Sunday, the point is that, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not linear. It's sort of a winding road. And I, I, yeah. I want to just everyone to note the genius here that in the moment of thanking Keith, Lucas found a way to, in fact, blame Keith. Exactly. I, I think is what yes. the goal of that, of that point was, is that Keith did not give us a good structure. So now it's forced Luke to have to, to wander a bit. That's right. And when you go on sabbatical for a month and leave <laughs> me with uh, carte blanche on scoring points on the window uh, where I'm marking, <laughs> keeping track, I'm going to take every opportunity to inflate the score. That's good. So, so again, <laughs> Keith is down a few points and, and Luke is up. But let's let's go to that for a minute, Luke, because I think you, you made that point and, and you even, even said and already inferred here that you were wrestling through this text. It's difficult to sort of there's a lot going on. I think what you've said is you've got John as two people here. You've got John, the theologian. You've got John, the pastor. Yeah. How is that borne out um, in this text? How have you seen that complication? Yeah, well, I think um, perhaps our people felt the complication on Sunday <laughs> as I started. And I, I started with John, the theologian. Hmm. And um, I guess, and you know this, Dan, if you've spent any time in John's gospel, um, Nothing is ever straightforward. He is, he is grabbing allusions and echoes from the creation narrative and the Old Testament in general, but especially the creation narrative. He's grabbing, as a theologian, he's grabbing these echoes and he's teasing you with them. And he's inviting um, people who know the creation narrative very, very well and, and Israel's origin story, in a sense, who know that well. He's inviting them to play along with him at these connections and illusions that aren't always on the surface, but that are deeply and for me, incontrovertibly there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what I was doing at the beginning on Sunday when I took us back to Genesis, because I know that our people have heard that from me before mm -hmm. in our John series. And I wanted to go back and sort of say, okay, it wasn't just there, but now we've got this idea of light and darkness. And, and goodness, you can't read Genesis 1 without seeing light and darkness as this profound 
image of what God, uh, the primary way in which God or reorders the chaos of the cosmos, if you want to call it. So that. you've got this heavy burden here where you're trying to, or you are, I think, connecting what John is saying about the church and our, our lives, you know, mm -hmm. his, the children that he's trying to teach here, that, that mm -hmm. they need to see themselves as part in, in this cosmic construct. It's not mm -hmm. just, and I, and I think that goes to something you had said, you know, you've got churches are embattled. Um, some churches are walking away from, from Christ. They're, they're buying into false doctrines and, and, you know, John is constantly shoving them back to say, no, this, the false doctrines are new. What we're talking about is as old as creation. Right. That, that's, that's difficult to do, especially when you get, and you're, you're a pastor. So maybe you can speak mm -hmm. to this when you're trying to be pastoral with someone. Right. How, how do you, how do you walk yeah. from something so practical to something so cosmic? Yeah. And that's, that's really, I think a, a difficult thing. And one of the things that I'm eager to do in our life together is I am, what I want us to see is that our life is at every point as God's people flowing out of the reality of the way the world is under the kingship of Jesus. And mm. so that's like the theological point is like this, this business about light, walking in the light and walking in darkness. This is not just a pragmatic point about um, how to be good people. Mm. I, I mean, that, that is there. But this is at stake is reality in a sense. And that's why I wanted to start with uh, the creation narrative in a sense. And that's why I think, as a side note, Genesis is such a profound place for the church to spend time because it sets a trajectory for us as God's people. And the theology that's in Genesis um, really sets us up for understanding what our lives are meant to look like in the world, in all of its uh, brokenness and, and the promise of restoration that the world holds in Jesus. So, um, yeah, I think one of the things that I'm always eager to do is to connect our practices with this theology of the way the world really is because of how God has made it and how Christ is rescuing it. And do you think, do you think in saying that, that one of the problems can be is that we take on the, the life of Christianity as best we can as a community without, in fact, doing the hard theological work there to mm -hmm. connect it back to that? Is, that? is that what you see? And if we don't, we end up in these really awkward legalistic spaces of how do we do good? Yeah. Really, what we're trying to do is live out what's already real. Is that, is that right. what you see? Yeah. And I think that's a, a very well said, Dan. I think that has always been, of course, part of my own experience uh, mm -hmm. growing up in my own tradition, which we've talked about here before. Um, but it's also the thing that I see in many, many, after 12 years here in this congregation, um, knowing who are the people who come to Wheatland, mm -hmm. um, knowing in general, there are these plot points of burnout that I've seen um, in people who are coming to Wheatland for something different. And what they're coming for is because there is this, I, I'm, I, I'm not saying unilaterally across, sure. across the board, this is why they're here. Some people are here just because they have a friend here, whatever. But I, I think part of what Wheatland has always tried to do well is to say, yes, the ways in which we live matter, but not because they're simply ways in which we live, but because there's this rich theological depth 
to the life of the church. Mm. Um, this isn't just about, it is about community, but it's not just about community. It's, it's about the way the world has been framed and put together and the place that the world is going in Christ and his redemption of all things. And so, yeah, trying to connect um, our, our practice with this theology that is so rich. And I think that's the tension I felt coming to this passage is, okay, we absolutely have to talk about walking in the light and what that means and walking in darkness and all the pragmatic, practical ways in which that flows out. But it can't be disconnected mm. from what's actually happened and is happening in mm. Jesus. That's so helpful because I, you know, look, I, I've often felt that one of the things that's great about Wheatland and people I've talked to that visited said, boy, your congregation is just very vocal and excited to be in the worship service. And of course, that's a wonderful thing, but there is a fine line between that being the reason we're there mm. or that that's a f outflowing or an outcropping from what's really true. And I, I wonder if that as a pastor, you felt that, that, that yeah. we need to be clear. And this is where John maybe is very helpful for us that we, we see that always in the context of what God has done creationally, that this is not, this is not something we've done. This is something that we're living into yeah. that's real yeah. beyond us. Exactly. And I think, um, I love this podcast because we can avoid actually talking about the sermon and talk about other things. But <laughs> while Sunday, doing, this is really helpful. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, but why, but, but that's one of the things that I love about what we're doing here is if we are rooted to that narrative hmm. uh, the, of what God has done in Jesus, if we're at every point rooted to that narrative, that allows humility and deep confidence. It, it's this humility and confidence at every point that this is not something that we're manufacturing. We're always brought back to this story. So it's, it's humility in that what what happens here isn't because we've been really clever or or that we've decided <laughs> or really we, nice people we really or, or really nice people no it's this yeah. humility that actually what motivates us most is what god has done in jesus and we can work really we can work we can be generous and we can work really hard in our own community and with one another without at our best without becoming prideful about what we're doing or what God is doing in our midst, because it's always connected to this grand story of what God is doing in the world and how much he loves his world and how much he loves his people. So is that, that's, that's the connection point of light then, I guess they were making. It yeah. Is that this, yeah. this light, which is creational and is God. And then in John chapter one is in fact, Christ himself now becomes the light in which we walk. Mm. So it is that theological perspective, yeah. which is a very pastoral implication. And, right. and maybe maybe that's the, the point is the pastoral implication is to see the light of fellowship in the context of the light of Christ and the mm. light of creation mm. and all of that mm -hmm. gets tied back together. So it doesn't become something it ought not. Right. And, and, and is that is that the case if we're not, would you say this, if we're not connecting it theologically back to this, is there a tendency that we start to break fellowship because it's all about the wrong thing. And right. it's about being happy, but now I'm not happy. It's about being friendly, mm -hmm. but I don't like you anymore. And right. is that the tendency then if we leave that theological framework, we can very easily slip into the dark. At every point, I think, and especially as you look at, or as I'm already looking at Sunday's text, where it starts talking about, um, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. This mm -hmm. idea of law keeping and commandment keeping if at every point 
it devolve or if it devolves into the good people are the ones who can keep his commandments and the people in darkness are the people who can't keep if 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 that is not rooted in a theological embrace of what the commandments are and what they do in the world as far as bring flourishing and healing mm-hmm. to broken if 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 there's not that it it always will at some point um fragment off into some sort of legalism tribalism blah what you know isms that that flow out of that hmm. and so you, you you mentioned in there that that moving from fellowship in the light to darkness is a matter of deception mm. um, you mm-hmm. said it becomes a matter of twisting and i and i i think what caught me about that is we can be in what is perceived to be a very happy fellowship when in fact we're deceiving ourselves about why we're there yeah. And I tied that to your 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 thoughts about repentance. Mm-hmm. If that's defining our relationship, then there's yeah. a transparency and an honesty to why we're together. Yeah. Um, but that walking in darkness can can actually look good. Yeah. In fact, it's self-serving or it's legalistic or it's something else, in which case yeah. it becomes deceptive and and then breaks fellowship. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And what's funny is, um, okay, I'm just going to say it. Terry Lynn <laughs> commented after the sermon. Um, no, there was some really helpful stuff there. Thanks. Uh, it was a little disorganized, but um, so anyway, uh, but we walked through it. She, she continues to resist the light in some points as I <laughs> articulated in the sermon. No, actually what she asked was really helpful. And um, she'd said something like, I really understand what you're saying about um, walking in darkness and the deception that happens and the self-deceptions. But my question is, is what you're saying then that I will not actually know when I'm walking in darkness, that I'm so self-deceived on certain things that I won't even be able to have access to know that I'm walking in darkness when I'm walking in darkness. So to me, that doesn't feel hopeful. That's Mm -hmm. Terry Lynn's uh, response to me. And I think maybe that's what you're getting at a a bit there as well is about the deceitfulness of the darkness. And so I've been thinking about that a little bit and thinking, it seems to me that that really, confession is the answer for that as well, because there's this idea that um, the role of the community has a life to play in in, um, confronting our darkness, as I talked about on Sunday, and I didn't get a, a, a chance to dive much deeper into it except to mention that James talks about confessing your sins one to another and praying for each other that you may be healed. But it seems to me that implicit in that is, you know, that passage comes to us in the context of, is any sick among you? Is any, let him call for the elders of the church. And so I don't want to I'm, I'm just talking about this for the first time. I'm trying to answer Terry Lynn's question sure. on a podcast. And then we won't have to <laughs> Always the best way to have marital conversations. Yeah, exactly. This she is now pastoral, recommended to all, yeah. all Honey, married couples. I know you want to talk about this, but just go listen to the podcast. And, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it in front of everyone, and then you can go listen <laughs> yeah. to that. No, but I, I do think um, what's interesting about that James passage is there is this strong connection to the to some formal church community where there are elders and, and mm-hmm. that, oh, there, so there is a role that the church has in my own 
discernment of what is darkness and light. And again, I want to stop and say, there's lots of places that that sort of spiritual authority has been abused. There's no doubt. I've talked to people, Dan, you and I were talking about a situation that you know of where there's um, some real autocracy, autocratic things going on in a congregation. It's causing hurt and pain in people that you know and care about. Um, so we know that's out there. And we, that's probably another podcast and discussion. But as we've mentioned before, it seems like there is a not that it seems like we're convinced from the scriptures that there is a real spiritual authority that ought to be reflecting, you know, God's authority, which is so different from man's right. um, exercise of authority in the life of the church that helps us discern those places with patience and kindness, but also with clarity. And um, so to Terry Lynn's question, how do we know that we're walking in darkness? Part of it is staying in the community, in a faithful community, and being open to the idea that we're exploring these places together as a congregation with our elders of what is light, what is dark. Well, that, and I and I this is something I've I've said, and I think I said it the last time I preached, but I I'm just amazed. The, the longer I'm around Christians, I'm not I'm I'm amazed by their conviction that what they believe is true. And I think sometimes we herald that, you know, this guy, he's, he, this is the doctrine and this is right. And he's not mm -hmm. going to compromise. But I actually, that's less impressive to me than just the, the willingness to repent. And I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really shocked by as many Christians I'm around that when they approach something, even that they're deeply convicted about, there's woven through it this, but I'm not sure. I know that I'm not fully right on this. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm not going to stand my ground, mm -hmm. but I know ultimately that that sin in my heart and my mind is still content. And I, and I wonder if to answer Terrellins, which I think is what you do uh, when you talked about this is even John's understanding that if you say you don't have sin, <laughs> mm -hmm. you're lying to yourself. And, and, and maybe yeah. the deception around God is to say, I'm in communion with God and I know I'm right on this is to be in darkness because you're not realizing that yeah. you're fallen and right. that sin is, you know, encroached yeah. its way into your heart and mind. No, that's a great, because what you're talking about is a posture that you right. live out right. of. It's a posture of humility and repentance. Right. And it's, it's, that's not, and, and that is different from of sort of cowering or, or um, a lack of confidence it or it, it being con being a posture towards confession does not mean that you're unsure right. about all of the things that you are wrestling with and and or things that you're not wrestling with you're just ultra but it is this posture that says i know the ways in which the world breaks everyone hmm. and i am always at every point um open to confessing places that I didn't even know I was broken in. Hmm. Um, now, again, that's not saying everything is up for grabs in my own, you know, the, the, that's a different sort of hmm. posture where you have no place to stand on and you never have sort of this Archimedean point from which to engage uh, issues or anything like that. But there is this posture of humility that if you don't have that, if you don't, if you aren't willing to um, sort of wrestle through and talk through anything with a heart of confession towards 
one another and towards God, uh, that I think is when the problems really come. Yeah. And that, and that doesn't mean you're not theologically right on something mm-hmm. and that where mm-hmm. we can hunker down. I was thinking there's this, uh, I was just looking back at, um, at John's writing, um, and he, and he really does talk about, you know, if you say a fellowship with him when you walk in darkness, you don't practice truth. But if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, and this is verse seven, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, which is interesting because you say if you're walking in the light, it's because you're not a sinner. Is not doesn't seem to be the case. It seems mm-hmm. to be the case that you are fully and finally aware mm-hmm. of the fact that you are, and that becomes walking in the light yeah. in some way. Right. And I think that's what's so lovely about um our own theological tradition in one sense is um grappling with total depravity from Mm -hmm. from a reformed perspective uh it you can't grapple with total depravity without grappling at the very same time with the thoroughgoing and persistent work of what God in Jesus has mm. done in the face of our depravity. Mm. So there are some that would say, oh, you're always talking about how broken everybody is and how broken everything is. But that's, that's never the whole uh, right. discussion. Um, I love what the verses that you were just reading. I don't think I pointed this out on Sunday. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That, that's a progressive phrase, hmm. cleanses. It, it has this ongoing, you know, it's not just this one-time thing. It's this ongoing thing. And, of course, that plays itself out in the rest of the passage as hmm. well. Um, if you do sin, we have an advocate, blah, 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 hmm. you know, stuff we talked about at some point someday. Yeah, and this goes to I think the, what you were talking about. If you the way you talked before was that the sermon is really two sermons. You had this theological mm-hmm. framework on top where you go in the light and creation and Christ yeah. and light and darkness, and then it comes to this pastoral part of John where it's talking about so what is it like to actually walk in darkness and mm-hmm. walk in light? And one thing that struck me when you were, got to those pieces was the way Augustine um, talks about sin is the absence of light. Mm. Um, that it, that this idea of deception and this idea of darkness seems like it's less something that you're trying to do than it really is avoiding. I think this is the way you said it. When you go into dark, you're really avoiding light. And, mm-hmm. and light in that regard is difficult because repentance is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not, not giving up on your convictions, but saying even in my deepest convictions, I know that somehow I am being turned by something that is ungodly at the root mm-hmm. of that. It's just a really difficult, even, even if it is a life-giving thing, according to John. Right. It's a very yeah. difficult thing to do also. It is. And I think it's, you know, it goes back, I hate to do this, but I'm always doing this. It goes back to Genesis in a sense mm-hmm. and, and really taking into account the profundity of the way that humanity has been broken. Mm-hmm. Like our, our presets, our, our factory presets mm-hmm. are hiding an antagonism toward mm-hmm toward that light of God, that light that longs, it's irrat. I don't know if I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, sin is utter absurdity and irrationality. Right. Right. I mean, that's, no, that's, that's right. what that's it, there's, there's no way to get around. Um, and we can all see that, but we can't avoid it. <laughs> we, we can mm-hmm. sit here and we can talk about 
the utter irrationality and absurdity of hiding from someone who longs to bring you life and human flourishing and do the sorts of things with our humanity that Jesus' own incarnation has done with our humanity and that he's longing to do in us and in the world, blah, blah, blah. It's, it is utter insanity to reject that. And yet we know that we have these darkened minds and darkened hearts as as paul talks about mm-hmm. in other places um and so and so i think when we're able to wrestle with that and and always have that that's part i think that's part of developing this posture of confession is sort of having this thoroughgoing um view of the way in which we've really been broken and 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 the deep effects that sin has on us and then trying to hold together with that, the fact that that is never, we're never left there. That's never a, an excuse to stay in those places. And and there's sort of, this is another discussion, but there's a whole sort of branch of, of thought and pastoral approach that's, that sort of focuses in on that, is that you're all just really messed up and you need to cut yourself some slack. And, and, and I think there's a sense in which that's true, but it's not ultimate, if that makes sense. So how, that, that's really what I'm trying to say. How do you make our depravity absolutely and thoroughgoingly true without making it ultimate? And is that, is that where repentance then just becomes yeah. the posture? And, I, and I've said this to students when I've grappled with this and say, if you were to boil down the Christian life, what does it come down to? It's a, it's a posture of repentance in reference to God's holiness, right? I mean, it, mm. It, and and mm-hmm. not and that's theologically profound. Obviously, there's there's you know, Genesis and the whole story of mm-hmm. Israel all plays this out in very metaphorical and very real mm-hmm. ways, and then right. in our own hearts. But but that's the case, right? I mean, it 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 is repentance is the lifeblood of the Christian, right? That yeah. that's what keeps us going, Absolutely. which is really hard to say because I think the culture. Yeah. And this is where I fear for my own brothers and sisters in Christ is we're being taught always to live in in conviction of this is right and that's wrong, and I'm mm-hmm. on this side and I'm not on that side. Yeah. And I just find that to be the hardest thing as a Christian yeah. to embrace my culture because I have to right. begin with the fact that I am a sinner. And that's right. just not where the world begins these even even when the world gets it right on an issue. Yeah. Social is important. Right. They just don't start there. I don't yeah. I can't follow and, them. Yeah. And I think, I mean, part of what you're getting at is in in a time and in a place where authenticity is such uh, maybe the leading, the leading light by which you ought to navigate your, and I'm, I'm saying sort of in modernity, post-modernity, post-post, whatever we're, we're at. I in, want to in, call it now. Yeah. Um, authenticity to the self is, is the, um, is, is, is the highest ideal perhaps, or one of them anyway. Oh, the highest. I'll agree the with that. The highest. Um, we're actually in one way saying yes and if we're going to be authentic <laughs> to our highest ideal, this is what Martin Luther has discovered way back in the um, you know 1600s that he the his 99 theses that he posted to the door at the Castle Church in Wittenberg began with all of life, all of the Christian life is repentance, and this idea that he he understood very clearly that if I'm going to be true to myself, the first thing I have, okay, I'm rephrasing. I don't think Martin Luther ever thought about being. We're not doing it in German or Latin. Yeah. But, but one of the things that he grabbed is that this is the, 
this is a starting point. This is an epistemological starting point That's that right. all of life, all of the Christian life is repentance. And that is because I know myself in the ways I have been broken and am disordered because of sin, blah, blah, blah. But let me, let me, I have to, as a historian, because someone's going to hear that and go, wait a minute, it was the 1500s and it was the 95 theses. So let me just, as did I say 99 and you said 99 in the 1600s? I was trying to say 16th, 16th century. century. I right. thought yes. that, 1517, if any, October 31st, <laughs> if anyone's you're, wondering. You're, yeah. yeah, your, your uh, yeah. credentials have been reestablished. Thank I just, you. I just yeah. knew someone would say something to me later. Why didn't you correct that? Yeah, or? thank you so much. Uh, so, so this is, this is, I, I want, I hope everyone heard that. I, 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 I think that bears a lot of discussion, Luke, and not that we can do it here, but when, when you say that, um, that this is a new epistemology, I'm not sure all our people understand what you're saying there, but I, but, but th I think that's probably the most profound thing that this culture needs to hear and, and mm -hmm. our people in it is that the way we come to truth, which is epistemology, begins not with self-suspicion necessarily, but it begins with this idea that we are going to do this in a way that's idolatrous in our hearts and that it always requires referencing a holy God and a life of sanctification and repentance in order to arrive at truth. And I, I think that's something that the world, and I th I'm afraid it's happening in the church just dramatically now and, and almost thoroughly, is that the, that's a, there's a different epistemology. It's, it's, mm. As long as I feel it, it's right. That's truth when I felt it is not at all in keeping with the biblical view of how we arrive at truth. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's so important for us. That's why the church is a community that always has to be rehearsing and retelling the story of the world. In a sense, we're yeah. there. Uh, we're. Yeah, I, I, I guess I've said that a hundred times, so I'm, I'm loath to go back into it, but what we're doing at our worship service every week is coming in and reframing the story right. from, and, and we're not telling a different story. We're telling the same story over and over right. throughout a history that, you know, the, the world is telling the, the story this way for this century, and it's telling the story this way for this century. And I think the church, of course, at its best and at its most faithful, is always telling the same story over and over to reframe its people to the way that the world really is. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what our corporate worship is meant to do, which is why I, okay, another rabbit trail here, which is why I think people, I, I've talked to people recently who have said, uh, I just realized I need the liturgy. Mm -hmm. um, I come to Wheatland because I need the liturgy. I haven't asked exactly what they mean by that, but I can't help but believe that what they really mean is I'm hearing so many stories throughout my life and throughout my week that it I'm coming here because on a Sunday, I am hearing the story of God's love for his world in Jesus and all that that means. And it, it's, it's unpacked in from the scriptures in this way that isn't um, I'm not coming in and having to make these decisions about what I believe or what I don't believe as much as I'm able to come in and hear the story again and have that story of what God has done in Jesus reframe all of the other places that I find myself torn mm -hmm. in the world.
That's so important. I, it's so important because I, I felt the same thing. I think younger, I the church was a cultural thing. I went here so as a Christian and not worldly. Mm-hmm. Or, right. And I think the gospel and salvation are also obviously crucial and central pieces. I want to get to that in just a second. But, but I think you're right that the idea that what you're what you're doing. You've said this a couple times in this podcast, which I'm just so encouraged by and strengthened by. And that is what we're what we're coming to see is 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 reality because what we get out there is unreality. Mm-hmm. We get unreality all the time and new narratives mm-hmm. and. Where those narratives, I think, strike us deeply is is we are told to be convicted in who we say we are and to be authentic. You already mentioned that to mm-hmm. ourselves and whatever all these other things are, which sounds so reasonable to us, the same way that golden calves seem reasonable to the mm-hmm. ancient Hebrews, right? have to come in here, oh, that's not reality. What you mm-hmm. heard was illogical, irrational, unreality. Right. Here's the reality. And, I, and I, I do appreciate that. And I love the fact that you, you in this text, took us back to that creational moment and said, here's what reality is, despite what the world says, when light becomes dark and dark becomes light, right? Creationally, God is the one that determines light. Yeah, I had a whole bit that I was working on for the sermon that talked about how the church um, continues the work of God in the world. Um, of separating light and darkness. Mm -hmm. Christ in his death and resurrection has made this, I I, I sort of hinted at this on Sunday, has made this definitive act of new creation. So I think of the death and resurrection of Jesus, propitiation that John mentions here, all of that, that death and resurrection is just sort of code language for the work of Christ in the world where he deals with sin. He, he overcomes evil, puts it away, puts this final judgment against evil. That doesn't, uh, it's sort of like the difference between D-Day and V-Day, like (laughs) D-Day has happened and now V-Day is coming. But, but when, when Normandy, you're a historian, so, and I know you love the second world Mm. war. So when that happened, like the war was effectively over, but there was a whole lot of skirmishes that had to be, it still had to be played out and, and, and had to be wrapped up when it yeah. finally moved to its, its formal and official ending of hostilities in a sense. Yeah. Um, now, of course, I'd have to say Stalingrad, but I. Okay, know, there the you go. Fine. Yes. Fair enough. But your point is well made. Right. The, there's an initial the only point. Yes, there's an initial. <laughs> yeah. There is always this, this definitive turning point, and then there is the final and ultimate. Right. So, and, and I think, um, I don't even know why I was talking about that. What were we saying? <laughs> okay, but, but what I think as a church that um, what we're, we're, I was writing uh, this whole bit about the church's work. It, it has been done for us definitively in Jesus. Right, right. And our work is to take, the, take that definitive work of separating light from darkness. Um, Paul goes into this. I'm making new connections now as we're talking. But Paul goes into this in Colossians about him um, triumphing over the evil powers in, 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 his, in Jesus's cross and resurrection. And now, so if that's the definitive work, then the church is taking the victory and pressing it to all of the places in a sense that still don't know that this this thing is over in a mm-hmm. you know and I, I that we're living out we're we are not making decisions about what is light and what is darkness we're taking the definitive work right. of light evil and and uh, darkness evil sin all of that and and light god's love and god's healing god's restoration and we're pressing that out to all the places um 
I didn't get into that on Sunday, but I think there's a sense in which that is what the church does as walking in the light. But, but I think why I didn't get it, because I think confession of sin actually is a, a really nice handle for grabbing on to that work of, of the church, of continuing to live in the light of the definitive separating of light and darkness. Well, I, I think that that's important because and I, I, liked, I liked your emphasis on that myself because I, to, to use your analogy, it's not helpful to go restorm Normandy that's been done. Mm-hmm. Now you live in that victory. Um, even if you've got to die in the Ardennes, that, that may be the case, mm-hmm. but you're living in that victory for mm-hmm. something much larger mm-hmm. than what you're going through. And quite frankly, you know, we are by walking, by repenting, we are committing ourselves to the light that is Christ, not the light that is ourselves. And I, I think, and you said authoritarian in the church, and I think authoritarian in our culture is all to say, you know, we're, we're going to make this right. Mm. And the point is, we're not. The point is, mm-hmm. we are going to repent of our own sin and watch God make this right, mm. and Christ make this right in his own time. Yeah. And I want to go back to something, because one of the parishioners um, mentioned to me, uh, who wasn't at the service, said, did, did Luke talk about propitiation? And I said, he did talk about propitiation. <laughs> can I name this person you publicly? Can. You, you no, can if I'm you'd kidding. like to. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> um, but, but I think there's something just to be mined a little there, because I think you set it up in what the light is and that we, we are in sin. And so by repenting, we recapitulate the light. By repenting, we, we work in the light by being mm-hmm. transparent. But the only reason that repentance makes any mm-hmm. sense at all is the fact that somehow our sins were already paid for. Because right. repentance itself is not a very good work. It doesn't actually change anything. Yeah, right. It's empty words. It's empty it's words. Sad. But but it is confirming a reality that, in fact, Christ has already taken the sins on him, our sins on himself. Yeah. But makes repentance now a, a, yeah. a right and good thing. Yeah. And that propitiation, I think, is such a key to understanding the light and the love that we're being invited into. It mm-hmm. is so profound. And, and you know, I mean, as a historian, and you and I have talked about a little bit here and there about the ancient Near East and views right, right. about gods and all of this stuff. This idea that God propitiates God mm-hmm. is, has no precedent mm-hmm. in, in, in the ancient world, no precedent in history yeah. that a God demanded a sacrifice for sin and that God himself is the sacrifice Mm. for sin. This Mm. is unimaginable love. And yeah, I talked about propitiation on Sunday as um, the idea that God himself comes and in Jesus absorbs the just judgment for sin. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, that just has such profound implications um, for all of our life, for all of our life as a church, Mm. that our sometimes, and I don't think this happens as much in our own circles, but if you get out into other um, more liberal traditions, uh, part of a critique of this idea of propitiation is that uh, the Father, in, uh, if, if you view the cross that way, there's this idea that this is sort of cosmic child abuse or, or, <laughs> that, or that the Father um, judges the Son harshly. And, and that I, I don't think any of us sort of in our own circles probably think of it that way, although mm-hmm. maybe people wrestle with questions about that. 
But I do think what you might find in our circles, if you misunderstand propitiation as God propitiating God, God himself um, absorbing his own just judgment, as I put it, him being true to these two aspects of his character, that he is just and he is holy. And he also has this irreconcilable antagonism towards sin. Mm. And at the same time, he loves with a perfect love his people, mm. How, mm. how those two come together. I think there's a sense in, if we don't grasp propitiation rightly, then there is a sense to see that Jesus is kind and loving and God is kind of an angry, mm. angry deity. And I, mm. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I just think that there are places where if our Trinitarian theology isn't, isn't, uh, if we're not always coming back to that and thinking about the relationship between father, son, and spirit and how that works out in its world, we, we could get some muddied ideas about things here and there. Oh yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, and I think what sin, sin is merely just a bad attitude or sin is a, you know, an un, uh, inhumane mm. thing. You know, you did something wrong. You did something mean, just misses the real um, disease. And, and I think what Paul has done, and I think it's, it's, it goes back to Genesis 3, is that sin and death are so tightly connected that, that sin is to bring death into the world. And right. all sin is to embrace death and to move away from the God of life. And so it's, yeah. there are these, of course, beautiful, Narcissus done, Sproul's done such good work in the modern period about connecting us to God's holiness, unspeakable, mm -hmm. un, un, you know, we can't even look at it, Isaiah and Moses and all this. But I think there's there's more dimensions to it in in with that, and that is that that life itself only originates right from someone that's that holy. Mm. In which case, we have made our we we've we've deconnected ourselves from life, mm -hmm. and we've embraced sin, and we've embraced death, and we've pursued it. And for Christ to come and take on our sin by taking on our death, actually, and I think there's there's you know the the, the theories of the atonement, which I know if you want to get into, but ideas like Christus Victor and. Mm -hmm. There's all these other things too about him taking on our disease and death and himself mm -hmm. so that he ends disease and death for us and mm -hmm. taking on the judgment of God. So there's that, that atonement factor mm -hmm. that that's propitiation is a very deep and rich doctrine, but it quite frankly, for me, it's the only thing that makes sense of death. Yeah. Because without that, without that little goodness and being kind does not address the fact that our sin brings us ultimately to death. And that had to be taken on as judgment in order for life to actually be given to us. And so, right. Yeah. Yes. Life. I, I love what you're saying there about it's only in the context of holiness and purity that life comes forth. Mm. Um, it, it is it is God himself, Father, Son and Spirit, who is able to call life out of the mm. cosmos of chaos, the chaos of, of the world. Because he is, as John will say, he is life himself. He is light himself. And in him, as we looked at, is no darkness at all. Uh, those ideas. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful and really profound. Um, but I think uh, the idea that um, John goes on to say about propitiation and, and the advocacy of Jesus Christ for us is just so interconnected mm. um, and such a, yeah, there's that rich theology that we're just talking about that, that indeed goes back to Genesis. And if you miss, if you, if you decouple um, death 
from sin, uh, you have lost <laughs> the, 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 the real impetus and the real oomph of Genesis and, 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 the, and a broken world and broken humanity. Um, but the idea in, in John, in 1 John 2, that it is this Jesus Christ who actually does not abandon us to all that as our advocate is such a beautiful pastoral point. I, I was struck, I was moved actually in my own study to think about, and I, I think I said it at some point, I have the manuscript here, but I'd have to flip through it. I said something to the effect that that thing that we are so afraid of in all of our hiding mm -hmm. is the precise thing that John here says will never happen. You will not be abandoned mm -hmm. to this thing that you consistently hide. Now, not everyone's hiding for that reason, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I think there, I, I know pastorally that there are people who struggle with confessing their sin because they think the moment they do, they will be cut off from either God mm. or their the people they love and who they think love them for the ways in which um, they perform or something like that. But this lovely idea that as our advocate, the righteous Jesus Christ, um, he ever lives to intercede for us. It's just a wonderful pastoral point, I think. Yeah, and it and it and it's this this universal piece that that this is this is the only way. I think when in verse two, when he says, mm, you know, mm -hmm. "Appreciation for ours, not only but also for the sins of the whole world." Obviously, John is not a universalist in this regard, mm -hmm. but but it almost seems by saying that that there's there's no like there's nothing else in the entire world by which you can be appreciated. There's no yeah. other way you can be forgiven. There's no other way yeah. to come back. This is the only and and universal way to do that is exactly. Back yeah, right. this, this is, um, it's really an echo of his words of Jesus, isn't it? I am the way, the truth, and the life from John 14. No man, no one comes to the Father except through me. Hmm. And that, and that goes back to, I think, what ties back in with this, this idea of light. There's no other source for this, but Christ hmm. and God himself. Mm -hmm. And if we really live into that, and I, and I think something you said here, and I, I, in my notes, I inverted one of your statements as I was thinking through it, is the idea that living in the light is how we have fellowship. And that broken fellowship might be the result from actually living into the darkness. And is that mm, mm. a chance for reflection as we think through our own lives and our own relationships is that are we committing to live in that light through confession and repentance to own mm. the propitiation? In one sense, when we refuse to repent, are we also abandoning the sacrifice of Christ? And we're yeah. saying, wow, Right here, I don't need it. I, I'm I'm indignant and I'm right, rather than yeah. starting everything with no. It, yeah. This must come back to Christ and repentance, and claim over me the blood of Christ again as I enter yeah. friendship or as I relate to people in the church. So, how right. does fellowship um, and and the lack of it or the difficulty of it play back into this idea of propitiation and repentance? How, how do yeah. these tie together? I love what you've just said. How um, brokenness in our fellowship with one another ought to push us back very, very quickly mm. towards this idea of walking in darkness or not embracing the profundity of what God has done for us in Jesus in propitiation. Mm. I think that's a great impulse. I hadn't really thought of that, frankly, but I think um, I, I agree that um, 
again, we're going to get to that in the next one, um, mm-hmm. where it says uh, about if you hate your brother, how can you, what verse is that? Uh, da, 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 that's nine. Um, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So ju- you've, you've anticipated, I think, where John is actually going with all of this. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm grateful. I, I think, um, I think the way that you frame this again is, and the way that, uh, that Keith started us out here is helpful. And I, I hope, I hope in future ones, we'll get to talk a little more about John's approach to this and the cyclical sort of nature. Yeah. Cause one of the things I appreciate our podcast is helping me. And I mm-hmm. hope those that are listening to, to, to see how to read the scripture, these concepts are in there and it sometimes takes patience and you have to read it through to sort of see what John is doing. It's not, you read verse one to five here and just sort of makes sense. It's something you've got to almost yeah. John being patient. Here's another way to think. Mm. Here's how we come back through this again. And yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a patient, uh, it's a patient duty to walk through the scriptures. Um, it, it really is. And I think that's, that's the lovely thing about our life together here is that this is what we're doing week in and week out. Right, if you right. participate by listening in these podcasts, uh, I think I am not, uh, confident enough that when I stand up in that 30 minutes or whatever, (laughs) 30 plus, um, I am not confident that I have said everything there is to say about about this passage. Mm. And I am um, almost always unhappy with organizational pieces of of how how things but i do think that once we begin to see that this is an ongoing conversation that as a congregation we're entering entering into and here are some plot points that we need to we need to consider um in this in this hour of okay whatever it's not an hour but in this moment of conversation here are some things for us to consider and let's keep that conversation going and i i like the idea i actually hadn't thought about, I hadn't consciously thought about John the theologian and John the pastor, um, those two things. But if I had to go back and do everything again for last Sunday, I think that's what I'd start with. So, okay, here, what you're going to see is John the theologian and John the pastor, and he's going to be bringing both of these to bear in this. So that's a lovely way to do it. Well, it's a dynamic process, and and I I often think in the church when when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and says this ought not surprise you the Holy Spirit is like the wind who comes and goes. Mm, yeah, it's not it's not what we necessarily understand. It's what God is doing to us and the willingness to participate in that. You know, reflectively and repentantly. Um, it's a it's a good work, and I'm grateful to be doing yeah. it at Wheatland, and and it's, grateful for your leadership and the pastors here. So thanks, Luke. We look yeah. forward to the next part of First John as you as you walk us through this. Thank you, Dan, and thank you to all of our uh, friends and Wheatland family who continue to um, support this podcast with your tithes and offerings. No, this this doesn't cost <laughs> us anything, but no, we're very grateful. I've, I've heard, Dan, and that, by the way, as a, an encouragement to you, I've heard from a number of people um, how much they're enjoying this time and engaging in these discussions, and um, yeah, we look forward to keeping these things going, so thanks, everyone. Amen to that. Thank you.